Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Well, welcome. My name's Andy, one of the elders in the church. The other elder is... uh, swanning off around uh, Corfu, going on walks and other things like that, which he doesn't deserve, but um, but it's good to see you. Thanks for being here with us. Um, just let you know, after service, we have lunch together. We love having church family time. Sunday is a whole event. We love spending this time together. Um, so feel relaxed. Hopefully you'll feel comfortable. Um, but we're going to get into God's Word and uh, have a look at the topic of generosity today, but let's, let's begin in prayer. Lord, thank you, as it says here, as we're about to read, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. Lord, we want to be full of God today in our lives. We want to be God-influenced, we want to be God-centered, we want to be focused on what you want us to focus on. And we want to be directed by you, Lord. Thank you that you've given us your word to direct our steps. You direct our minds, our emotions, our hearts, and everything else. And I pray as we experience your direction, we would be able to also travel in that way. Lord, Holy Spirit, give us the strength to put your word into action and to walk with Jesus today. For this not to be stuff that we have learned and then it... We forget about it in a day's time. But Lord, for us to take seriously what you say, thank you that you come so graciously to us and so kindly, so gently and generously. And Lord, we want to respond. So help us to hear from you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A question to start with. When a small little duckling is perched on the edge of the branch... Considering its first leap into the unknown, the first time it's ever going to try and imitate its parent and fly, why is it hesitating? What do you think? Is it because it is scared of falling, or is it because it's scared of flying? In this message, I've come to the point where... So this is a message about generosity and living a life of generosity, taking the jump into a life of generosity, an overflowing life, a life of giving. And I believe many of us stand on the edge of the branch. We've been inspired by maybe others who've done this before. We stand on the edge of the branch and we're ready to take the leap, but there is a hesitation in us. There's something holding us back, and I want to explore that, look into it to see what is it? Is it the fear of falling, or is it the fear of flying, and is it possible to overcome that fear and to live this generous life that I believe Jesus leads his followers to live? How I got here wasn't totally random, by the way. I went on a bit of a wild goose chase around the Bible. So we've been on a, in a series in the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is all about living as people who are following Jesus in a world that is not following Jesus, 
and coming to terms with and learning to adapt to all of the pressures that come with that. All of the strains and the different uh, angles that difficulty may come at your life. How to live the good life in a difficult world, essentially. And I was struck when I was reading through 1 Peter and thinking, and while I'm doing that, I'm often spending some time in the Psalms as well in the mornings. And it struck me the similarity that I noticed between 1 Peter, so this letter that Peter wrote a couple of thousand years ago, and this Psalm 37, which was written many, many thousands of years ago. Seems to me that this Psalm was in the back of Peter's mind. You can see on the screen, I think, there's various references that are very similar. Do not fear others or be intimidated by them. Don't worry about the wicked. All flesh is like grass, and grass eventually just withers. Like grass, the wicked will soon fade away. And then in 1 Peter, this really strong commitment to do what is good. No matter what happens, no matter how much your instinct tells you to fight back, do what is good, commit to that. And then in Psalm 37, that is, as you will see, a strong refrain that keeps going around is the idea of doing good in the face of adversity, in the face of scarcity. Keep doing good. So let's read Psalm 37 together. And for anyone who's interested, this is an A to Z um, poem. So in Hebrew letters, every new uh, section actually begins with the next letter of their alphabet, if that makes sense. Um, and why they did that, it was to create a sense of wholeness. It was a holistic psalm. It's, it's wisdom literature is what this is. And all of these sections are given to you to spend a lot of time chewing over. So we're not going to spend, we're not going to, we'll read the whole thing, but we're going to then focus on a few verses that I think connect together. But let's just think and pray as I read this. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they'll be gone. The lowly will possess the land. That's where Jesus gets the phrase, the meek shall inherit the earth. And will live in peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the godly. They snarl at them in defiance. But the Lord just laughs, for he sees their day of judgment coming. The wicked draws their swords and strings their bows to kill the poor and the oppressed, to slaughter those who do right. But their swords will stab their own hearts and their bows will be broken. 
It is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. For the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times, even in famine. They will have more than enough. But the wicked will die. The Lord's enemies are like flowers in a field. They will disappear like smoke. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. Those the Lord blesses will possess the land, but those he curses will die. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Once I was young, and now I am old. You can tell I'm not writing this, can you? (laughs) Yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. The godly always give generous loans to others and their children are a blessing. Turn from evil and do good and you will live in the land forever. For the Lord loves justice and he will never abandon the godly. He will keep them safe forever, but the children of the wicked will die. The godly will possess the land and will live there forever. The godly offer good counsel. They teach right from wrong. They have made God's law their own, so they will never slip from his path. The wicked wait in ambush for the godly, looking for an excuse to kill them. But the Lord will not let the wicked succeed or let the godly be condemned when they're put on trial. Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along his path. He will honor you by giving you the land. You will see the wicked destroyed. I have seen the wicked and ruthless people flourishing like a tree in its native soil. But when I looked again, they were gone. Though I searched for them, I could not find them. Look at those who are honest and good. For a wonderful future awaits those who love peace. But the rebellious will be destroyed. They have no future. The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them, and they find shelter in him. I learned a new term this week. Some of you might know it. I think it's used more in America. It is the term lame duck. Has anyone heard this term? A lame duck. A lame duck, apparently the term, originated in the world of finance to describe a trader, someone who takes people's money and then invests it on their behalf. And uh, a lame duck trader is someone who has gone bankrupt, who you should not invest your money through them because they have lost everything through their own mistakes or whatever, and they walk out of the trading floor looking a bit like a a sort of embarrassed duck goose. (laughs) A lame duck politician is a politician who has been already voted out of office, but is working the final few weeks or months of their term. They still hold the office, but they have no power because their successor has already been chosen by the people. A lame duck is something that is not worth investing your time or your money in. 
And I believe Psalm 37 describes this world as a lame duck. The world that started with Adam and Eve and then expanded as humanity fills the earth has been described throughout Scripture as a lame duck. It is an age of decay. Everything it touches turns to mold eventually. It is bankrupt with sin. The world is the system that connects all human beings of all races, ethnicities, genders, and religions. The world is the super system that connects everyone together. It is the operating system underlying everything. And it is a system that is built on not honoring God as God. There are lots of gods in the world, but these gods are puppets of humanity. The world is an established thing that is very hard to touch, but it's very clear in Scripture that it exists and everyone lives within the world, that has turned away from God and is trying to exist without God as its creator. And the Bible's very clear. This world is coming to an end. It is destined for destruction. It has already been given a vote of no confidence by God. And it is just working out its hours until one day the world is brought to an end. And David is saying to his readers in Psalm 37, don't invest your life, your money, your time into this lame duck of a world. Because it will come to an end soon. This is a world that is built right at the beginning. What did Adam and Eve do? They didn't wait for the Lord to give them what they needed. They seized control. They took. Then their sons, Cain and Abel. Cain was not happy that Abel got promoted above him in a situation and so took his life. And rivalry and envy spread. This describes the state of the world that God says is coming to an end and won't last forever. Now that should be good news. That they, the world of decay, the world that is infected and bankrupt with sin is going to come to an end and will not last forever. But David is warning his readers, do not invest your time and your money in this lame duck of a world no matter how tempting it may seem. And the question that got me thinking was, why would anyone invest or follow a lame duck? And I think if you think about it, it becomes quite obvious. A lame duck can build a much bigger nest than a flying duck. A lame duck has all of, all of this square footage on the ground. They can collect all sorts of different branches and leaves and weave them together into these incredible um, structures. They could even dig little trenches on the ground, fill it with water and have a nice water feature. They can make the most elaborate and wonderful nests. Whereas these birds, these ducks that are flying in the air, they flip from one tree to another, building small little nests in the top of a tree that with one large gust of the wind might fall apart and they have to relocate. And so it seems quite obvious, actually, why you might envy or follow the lame duck. The lame duck can build the most impressive nest. And also the lame ducks on the ground will laugh at those who are flying in the air because of all they have given up. 
in taking flight, in leaving the earth, in deciding to try and live a life up in the sky, they have given up all of the earthly pleasures that they could have had. They've given up the opportunities that they could have had, and they're wasting their energy, aren't they? Flapping their wings and tiring themselves out when they could be building something incredible here on the ground. And I think those temptations are behind the readers of this psalm. David knows it all too well in his own heart. It is very tempting to follow a lame duck. If we put it in different terms, it's the fear of falling or it's the fear of flying. When you stand on the edge and you consider living a life of faith, up in the air, following God, flying the flight of faith, living a life of generosity, what is it that stops you? And I think, first of all, it is that fear of falling. What is the fear of falling? It's the fear behind self-preservation. See, this psalm has verses like this. Verse 18, day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. But for the little duckling that's on the edge, what's the thought that creeps into their mind? It says, the Lord will take care of you. And the little thought that comes in is, yeah, but what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? What if I jump and I just plummet? What if these wing things don't actually work? What if gravity isn't quite like I've been promised or told? What if this is true for some other people that God takes care of them, but it's not true for me? What if God doesn't actually take care of me? That's the fear of falling, and that will keep you earthbound. It's a very, very paralyzing question, this what if. What if God is not quite planned what I want him to plan for my life? What if he doesn't catch me? What if this whole endeavor, what if this idea of living a generous life doesn't pay off? Shouldn't I possibly make sure that I can take care of myself first before letting God take care of me? And I think when this what if question creeps into the little duckling's head, I would encourage the little duckling to ask two questions in response. What if I don't have enough, is what he's thinking. But I'd suggest the first question should be, what if my enough is more than God's enough? What if my bar is higher than God's bar? Have a look at verse 25. David is talking, I think, as an older man now, having learned a lot from the world. And he says this, once I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. What does David not write here? He doesn't write, I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for another pony or another iPhone. Then look at verse 16. It is better to be godly and have little. Now I think this is challenging. Because it might be the case that our version of enough is actually more than God's version of enough for our life. And I can guarantee our version of what is too little is, sorry, the world's version of enough is definitely different to God's version of enough. 
Just go on social media and see all of the promotions, all of the advertising, everything that grips our hearts and makes us want more. It is selling a story that God has never promised to his people. It is saying this is what it means to have enough. And God's voice gets lost in all of that. And so we set the bar up here and say this will be enough for my life. And God is saying actually maybe this is enough for your life. You can live a godly, a righteous, a good, a generous life here. You don't need all of that. So that's the first question that you might want to respond with is, is it possible that when I say, what if I don't have enough, the enough that you're talking about is actually more than God has planned for your life, for our lives? I think this challenges the idea that is often around that is behind the phrase, well, I will start giving and I will start being generous when I have more. You won't. You won't. You won't start giving. You won't suddenly become generous later in life because you've got more money. Just look at the history of humanity. Money controls people. It will never feel like enough to start being generous. No matter how much you've been promoted or how big the new paycheck is, it will never feel like enough. That's why we need to go to God to find out what is enough and to trust that he will take care of us. And the temptation behind self-preservation, the thing that stops you jumping because you're afraid of falling, is the big thing, well, what if God doesn't take care of me? So maybe I need to take care of myself. That's the big thing. What if God doesn't take care of me when I jump, so I'm going to make sure that I take care of myself? And then I think that comes to the second question that you should respond with. When you're thinking that question, what if I don't have enough? What if God doesn't give me enough? You respond with first, well, what if your enough is different to God's? But then I'd say the second one is, what if you have too much? What if you actually have too much to experience God in your life? Because have a look at the verses up here again and think about the logic. It says here that the godly, those who have dedicated themselves to being generous, the Lord takes care of them. It says that twice in 17 and 18. The Lord takes care of them day by day. He blesses them. He directs their steps. He delights in them and he holds their hand. But I think by implication you could take it the other way around. It would be possible for someone to have so much that they don't experience God taking care of them in the day to day. They don't experience the Lord directing their steps because they've already chosen which way they're going to go. They don't experience the delight of God because they've already given themselves enough delights to work with. They don't know God holding their hand because they've made sure that they will never stumble in life. It is possible, I think, to create such a buffer zone and such a safety net around us that it's a safety net that actually keeps God out. We don't need to experience God because we've managed all of our experiences of our own. Jesus met a man who was extremely wealthy, a young man who was very wealthy, and the man came to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
This man was very wealthy. He probably owned a lot of property, had a lot of wealth in himself, and was very important. Now, Jesus could have just said to him, come, follow me. And then you would have had a great asset on your team as Jesus. Now you've got a really wealthy businessman, young guy who could be very influential, and he could fund everything that you wanted to do in your project. But Jesus foolishly doesn't just say, come, follow me. He says, go and sell everything you have, give it away to the poor, and then come and follow me. And it says that the man just went away sad. Because he had too much to follow Jesus. He had built such a safety net around him. He had created such a buffer zone that it was too much to give away. It was too much to experience God in his fullness. Think about now, many years later, in the moment, the village might have applauded him. His family, probably, when he came back and said, yeah, I just spoke to Jesus, it was great. And he tells the story years later of how he once met Jesus. And people in the culture would have loved it, and he was still influential and had loads of money and everything. But now, looking back, who looks like the fool? It was the man who had too much to follow Jesus. He had too much to experience Jesus caring for his daily need. It was, he had too much money to experience Jesus directing his steps in the day-to-day. He created such a buffer zone that it didn't allow Jesus in, and it didn't allow him to escape and follow Jesus. So as the duckling perches on the edge thinking, should I jump? And then he f- here's that thought. What if God doesn't give you enough? Well, what if my enough is different to God's? And what if perhaps I actually have too much, too much to give up? It might be those things that are holding us back, self-preservation. And then I think I'd say this. There's not only the fear of falling, as in what if this just doesn't work? What if God doesn't come through on his promises for my life? What if he doesn't actually take care of me? The second thing is the fear of flying. And I think the fear of flying is think about everything that you're going to give up when you take off. When you give yourself to flight, think of everything that you give up on the ground. Everything you could have been suddenly disappears as you take flight. I think this is the fear behind self-promotion. It is the fear of giving up all that you could have made and all that you could have been if you'd kept hold of it. Look at verse 1. Oh, you can't look at verse (laughs) 1. I'm telling myself look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. Why would you? Why would you envy people who do the wrong thing? Isn't that weird? Why would you envy people who've done the wrong thing? Well, it's the same reason that you envy the lame duck. Because it has built what you could have built. In Scripture, it is a constant refrain that those who chose to not be generous, those who chose to make themselves rich, Those who chose to invest in themselves were successful. They built big houses. They established great empires. That is what the world has been built on. People who've invested in themselves and built great things for themselves. And the big question in Psalm 37 is, 
don't envy them. But we do actually have to acknowledge that it worked. They succeeded. In a worldly sense, by investing in themselves, they built great kingdoms. And they established great dynasties. And of course it's tempting to envy them. Because you're thinking, well, that could have been me. If I'd chosen to invest in myself instead of others, I could have got that. I could have gone for that promotion. I could have been living that lifestyle. I could have gone on that, gone on that number of holidays. I could have been wearing those same clothes. I could have been living that exact kind of a lifestyle if I had chosen that path. And then you're thinking, well, it's not too late. You can always redivert back to that path and try again. This is the fear of flying. Because when you take off, you give up all the things that you could have done on the ground. And just connect verse 16 and verse 21 together in your minds. It says, it is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. And then it says over in verse 21, the wicked borrow never repay, but the godly are generous givers. So, verse 16, it's better to be godly and have little. Why do the godly have little? Verse 21, because they're generous givers. They have so dedicated their lives to being generous with their income that they have cut off many of their potential opportunities if they'd held on to that money. Does that make sense? These people have not just given the leftovers. They haven't just organized their whole life around income, building a good, and then whatever's left at the end, then maybe we can be generous with that. No, these people have actually devoted themselves to generosity, and then they found out later what kind of a lifestyle they could live. Because their life was about generous giving. They didn't give their leftovers. They gave as much as they could at the beginning, as much as they felt was right, right at the beginning, and then they found out the kind of lifestyle that they could then afford to live. It's not the other way around. This world would say, choose your lifestyle and then maybe be generous at the end. The Bible says, choose generosity. Choose to invest in others. Don't choose to invest in yourself. And then find out the lifestyle that you can then afford to live. This is the temptation of self-promotion. If I take off, if I take the leap of faith, the jump into generosity, think of all the things that I'm leaving behind. Think of the size of the house that you can't then buy. Think of the nice car that you... Well, you don't have cars in London, but... Think of all the holidays and the frequency of holidays that I could have had. And in this, it's not worth comparing yourself to people who are much richer than you or of much less income than you. It's worth comparing yourself to your peers. If you end up living exactly, essentially, the same lifestyle as your peers then you haven't really made the jump into generosity because you've enabled the same lifestyle as them. Whereas the people in this story, they now have little. They have less than their peers to spend on themselves because they've given so much to others. So the question is, are you happy to let God choose where you end up? Are you happy to let God choose your lifestyle when you've chosen the route of generosity? And here's the thing, the pressure will build for that little duckling standing on the edge, looking up at those ducks just flying around, seemingly having nothing to look good at all. 
And then looking down on the ground, and there's the lame ducks with their enormous mansions, their nests, their water features, and everything else that comes with it. Which one looks foolish? Well, it's the duck that's flying in the sky, isn't it? That looks totally foolish, having given all of that up, until the fox emerges from the woodland. And then in an instant, you look away, you turn back, in the blink of an eye, there is just a puff of feathers on the ground, and there's nothing left of the wicked, the lame duck. It's all gone. The nest is still there, and funnily enough, those up in the sky can return to the ground and enjoy those nests. But those who've chosen to invest in themselves, the lame ducks, have gone. They've vanished. That's what this psalm says repeatedly. Soon the wicked, those who've chosen to invest in themselves, they will disappear. And though you look for them, they'll be gone. People, companies, political parties, nations, empires, a world that has chosen to not honor God for God, even though they may be here for a hundred years, they're gone tomorrow. They will disappear, they will perish, they will in the blink of an eye, vanish. And so David says, don't invest in them. They are lame ducks. Instead, choose a better way, a way of generosity. And I'd say this, it's a way that chooses Jesus as your leader. Now, this may seem obvious, but it's so important. Jesus was tempted in the same way in both of these regards. He was tempted in self-preservation. He was tempted to take care of himself first. There was a moment when he was led out into the wilderness for 40 days, and he was there to embody Israel who were in the wilderness for 40 years. And God, I think, had promised him that God would sustain him physically for all of those 40 days, and he would be okay. God would take care of him. But then as his stomach is grumbling, On day 38, Satan whispers in his ear and says, come on, just turn that stone into bread. Just take care of yourself a little bit more. It would have been so tempting to just self-preservation. But he chooses not to. And then Satan takes him instead to a high mountain and shows him all of the kingdoms of the earth. All the skyscrapers, the amazing cities, all of the different populations and says, all of this belongs to me. And just come in allegiance with me. Look at this world. It's beautiful. It's stunning. So much could be achieved in this world. If you come into allegiance with me, Satan says, I'll just go and whisper in their ears and they will like you. And they'll be really keen on your funny little ideas about solving poverty and helping the, like those in injustice and all of that. We can build a world together, can't we? And Jesus says, no. But it would have been so tempting. Think of how much pain he would have avoided if he'd chosen that option to invest into world number one. But he says no because he believes there's world number two. He believes in a better world that has been promised since Psalm 37 and way before that, that God isn't sending his son into the world to patch up a broken world. He is sending his son into this world in order to create a new world, a better world, a far superior world. 
A world that is marked by giving, not taking. Where the poor are lifted to the height of princes. Where peace and prosperity reigns. Where the oppressed are set free. Where there are no debts, whether financial or emotional. And there is security and safety. And do you know how Jesus created that new world? By investing in lame ducks. He went round Israel and gathered in all of the most bankrupt people. Bankrupt with sin, bankrupt socially, bankrupt emotionally. Everyone had sold themselves to the old world in different ways. He went around and gathered them in and said, I'm going to build a new world with you. Now think how stupid that would have looked. He didn't go to the ones who'd already established their great empires or their great kingdoms. He went to those who completely lost it, who'd wasted everything, gathered them in and said, we're going to build a new world together. And then the old world crucifies him and says, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not going to build a new world here. This is the world that's going to stay. And for a few days, it looked like the old world had won. It looked like the old world had had its way again and had crushed those who have a better idea, those who want to fly by faith. But Jesus believed there was something more. And three days later, he rose from the dead and emerged into a new world. He began the new world right there in a garden in Israel and called his people back. And so we're going to start this together. We're going to build this now together. Jesus is the first fruits of the new world. He has gone through death into life. He has started a new world. And he is now calling people from every nation to join him in his new world. He saves them out of the old by the forgiveness of their sins and brings them into the new. That is his commitment. And I can see people slightly falling asleep because it's so warm. Wake yourselves up, because I'm about to give you the worst phrase I've ever come up with. This isn't the worst phrase, this is the Bible. Um, You know the generous, it says 2 Corinthians, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich in every heavenly blessing, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. That was the goal of heaven, to create a new world where those who'd been totally poor spiritually and every other way, now suddenly are lifted to seats with princes and are made rich in Christ, in their faith. And then here's the thing. Because Jesus then went up to the throne room of heaven, the control center of the universe, to establish the new world. And how does he do it? How does he create this new world that is a better world? He does it through the church, which is a cloud-funded organization. There you go, awful phrase. This unique group in history is the organization that Jesus created to establish the new world. He sends his spirit to turn us from lame ducks into geese that can fly or something. I didn't plan whatever I'd say there. Something impressive. And it's an organization that has been given heavenly authority to establish a better world in the middle of the old world. That's our job. That's what he's enabled us to do. That is the incredible calling of the church. 
We are a cloud-funded organization because we owe a lot to the cloud of witnesses that have come before us. The Bible tells us about the cloud of witnesses who are the other saints, other Christians throughout the generations who have invested and been generous. And we owe it to them. We owe so much to them. We owe this building. The fact that so many people were generous and built this structure. We owe our salvation to many people who invested their money and their time into preaching the gospel, having Bibles written in our own languages, having people trained in speaking about the faith. We owe healthy marriages to people who've designed great courses and provided pastoral care. We owe so much. We owe kids work. Uh, The fact that many of us have grown up, I haven't, but many people have grown up in churches and have superb kids work that have shaped them over the years. We owe it to the generosity of the cloud of witnesses before us. We are cloud-funded organization as a church. We owe so much to generosity. We are also a cloud-funded organization in the fact that we invest in dreams. We as a church invest in charities that are connected to us, like Agape, with Ollie and Bree and others who are working hard to bring the gospel to students in London. We invest into them. We invest into Latin Link with Luis and Maribel, who have been establishing church plants and various things over in Bolivia for many years. We invest in commission because we believe that this family of churches that we're connected to, who are now 300 heading for 1,000 churches in India and all across the world in Spain and Portugal and other places, Guy has even been over in America recently. We believe that commission are transforming the world as God is moving. We're a cloud-funding organization. We believe in dreams. We dream and we invest into it. And we're a cloud-funded organization as in we let our imaginations run wild in this church to dream of that better world that we could potentially invest in. And that, for me, is where our Chapel Cafe now comes in. We've made a change today and it introduced a new thing where the cafe is the giving hub of our church. You no longer need to pay for a drink when you go there. You'll be made a lovely coffee by the people who work there, the volunteers who uh, volunteer and get here very early on a Sunday to open up that cafe and make drinks. You can volunteer there as well. But the idea is that that is the place where if you want to regularly give by card or cash, you can head over in that direction. Or there is a funny little bird box hanging up somewhere over by the cafe where you can put cash in. That is the new giving hub. You're not paying for your drink. You are investing in the work of this church if you want to. But if you want a free drink, fine, because loads of others have invested in the work of this church so that we can give things away freely. Our lunches are exactly the same. We don't want anyone to feel like they can't have lunch with us because it's so integral to who and what we are as a church. That's why we rely on the generous giving of people in order to create a family atmosphere where no one feels left out because we can all have lunch together. We are a cloud-funded organization because we have wild imaginations. We want to dream of how we could invest into the future, into people here, how we can transform communities. We are aiming that the building will cover the cost of the building. We hope that by renting this place out, it will cover the cost of the, the roof that's falling down and various other things, leaps and all sorts in an old building. We hope that the building will pay for the building. New Acre Cafe will hopefully pay for itself eventually as time goes on. It's getting very close there now, now that we've got a, a capable manager called Eunice, uh, other than me. Um, and so 
And so your giving is into the work of the things that we can do to transform society in the various different ways, the different staff members we can employ, the different ministries we can run, the different things that we can put on as a church. So all that to say is, I'd encourage you to live generously. I, my, my suggestion, if you're brand new to this, is really spend some time thinking and praying about how much you should be generous with. How much of your income, what percentage, you should give away every single month. And then I would say prioritize the church in that. And then after that, prioritize individuals that you know and organizations that you're connected with. And then after that, if there's more left, then fund other things around the world as well. That's my suggestion. Take it or leave it. But my sense is that this is a moment for each of us to just have another think about our generous, our generous living. It's bigger than just giving to the church. It's so much bigger than that. It's building a new world, the world that Jesus is building. That's what you can invest in. You've got flyers on your chairs that tell you the information about how to do it, or it provides a nice fan as Claire is using it for. This is helpful. You can use this if you want to start giving. But here we are, go on, band, let's come up and we'll just spend the rest of this time worshipping because that's, that's what the new world is about. The world that so many people before us have invested into with their money and their time and their generous gifts is the world that worships Jesus as its creator and its saviour. And it is an honor. Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. And we can step into that reality together. And he knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? Because he gave up his own life to establish this new world. And now he gives an, us an opportunity to take that leap of, faith, leap of faith and fly with him as well. So why don't we stand and let's just worship him. We're not doing a big one-off giving or anything like that today. Take time with God, figure out how, how generous to live your life, and then go for it. Take the leap of faith. Lord, thank you. Thank you that Jesus stepped into this world to rescue us and to bring us into his new world. And Lord, for those who are waiting and waiting to see your promises come true, give them more perseverance and strength to wait. And for many of us who are on the edge of thinking about living a different kind of a life, a generous life, give us that motivation and strength to take the step, to take the leap and to fly with you. Whatever it means in our minds, in our emotions, whatever it means, Lord, fill our wings now and send us into this new world. Lord, we want to build and see amazing things done. Thank you that we will never lose out when we give to you. You're amazing. Oh, you're incredible. Please now help us to worship and, and praise you, Jesus, for all that you are. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.